0: Welcome to season four of the Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders every week to help you navigate the economic and investing landscape. And now,
1: here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. Ladies and gentlemen, the 21st day of 2021, and Joe Biden from the state of Delaware is the new president of the United States, Kamala Harris, the first woman vice president of the United States. We have a uh, 50-50 Republican and Democrat split in the Senate with Kamala Harris as vice president, casting a majority vote on tiebreakers. Markets responded well yesterday as they have all year. This bull market rally continues. Stock prices move higher. The Fed continues to be accommodative. And it sounds like we've got more stimulus coming from our new president. For all of what this is going to mean to the markets, we turn to our great friend, Kenny Polkari, the voice for many years of the New York Stock Exchange. And, of course, Kenny started working on the uh, New York Stock Exchange when uh, God was young. Uh, <laughs> welcome back to the uh, forecast, Kenny. Thank you, Michael. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, brother. We're glad you're back. Kenny, what are you making A markets new making new highs? Some people are talking about a bubble and others are saying we've got a great tailwind and you can't fight this much cash. Tell well, us how I, you
2: see I'm- it. I'm not surprised you can't fight the fed right and uh, that's really right. the old the old saying and so that seems to be true but look a lot of what I think is happening the market is already priced in we knew we were going to get this massive stimulus package they're now talking about you know another trillion by the end of the uh, by the end of the quarter but they're talking about it so the market's already pricing it in we knew the vaccines were coming we knew the vaccines were going to get out there we knew the vaccines are going to help the virus so that's coming I think the only thing that that throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into out of these new strains that appear to be popping up, but they by no stretch are are causing that much angst. I think everyone's fairly comfortable that the vaccines will be that the vaccines will be be able to handle it. And so, I for one think we're a little bit stretched. Although I've been saying that for a while, uh, but the market can remain irrational longer than uh, you know maybe I'd like. But I'm not suggesting that you know it's gonna it's gonna crash. But I am suggesting. That um, that it should pull back. Actually, it would be healthy for it to pull back. So the longer it continues to get stretched, I think then the more of a the more of a kind of swift, painful pullback it'll feel like. You're, enough to you're, stretching,
1: you're stretching the rubber band a little bit far here, I think, is what I'm hearing you say, yeah? Yeah, that's what and, I think. And, and when, it, when it gets stretched this hard, it tends to pull back a little more. Art Cashin points out that, you know, kind of February is when we've been getting pullbacks for the recent years. Would it surprise you to see a 10 percent pullback in February? No, it wouldn't surprise
2: me to see a 10% pullback any time between now and the end of the quarter, quite honestly, right? Right. Um, listen, the last couple of years, it was January. Towards the end of January, we kind of started running into uh, difficulty. And next week is the last week of January. It's going to be interesting to see how the markets react. But I would not be surprised to see the markets pull back 7 to 10%, whether it starts next week, whether it starts in February, whatever. I actually am looking for that to happen because, you know, as a long-term investor, and you'll and you'll appreciate this, I love buying stocks that are on sale, right? Stocks that have come in 10 or 15% that are good, solid names that have gotten stretched because of, you know, automated trading, algorithms, ETFs that just buy. once those stocks come in a little bit, they actually provide some opportunities. So, I'd love to see the market back off.
1: So, Kenny, would you be more surprised uh, to see a pullback over the next uh, sometime this quarter or would you be more surprised not to see a pullback during this quarter.
2: I'd be more surprised not to see it, because, I, because it you, feels— be more surprised yeah, not to see not it. Not to see it. I mean, listen, if we just keep marching higher and there's no pullback at all, look what's happened. I mean, you can't just look at the first 21 days of the month. You have to kind of look at the action since, like, October. It's almost parabolic that the market has gone straight up. NASDAQ ended up 44% on the year. It's up another almost 5% in the first three weeks of this year. So it feels— um it just feels stretched to me right now. Jeremy I mean,
1: Jeremy the Grantham is out this morning talking about a bubble and stocks are hugely bubbly. We've heard Jeff Gundlach talk about that. We've heard my friend Doug Cass talk about this huge bubble in yeah. stocks. So, Ken, do you think there is, one, a huge bubble because— if we keep hearing those strains of a huge right. bubble and you right. get that seven to 10% pullback, you get that you know huge mass of, 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 of investors, of short-term investors who haven't been through this before who start yelling and screaming and start the panic Um, tell us how you, a bubble, a no bubble, or just a regular pullback, what should we look for?
2: Well, you know, you have to be careful how you use the words, because when people say a huge bubble, then that gives the impression that, you know, you're 25 or 30 percent overvalued when they use, we're in this huge bubble. I don't think it's a huge bubble. I do, though, think it's frothy. That's why I'm saying 7 to 10 percent is well within the normal trading range. OF A, YOU KNOW, WITHIN THE NORMAL TRADING RANGE, IT'S NOT REALLY THE MARKET, YOU KNOW, it DOESN'T GO INTO correction PHASE UNTIL YOU GET BETTER THAN 10%. SO ANYTHING BETWEEN ZERO AND 9.9% IS WELL WITHIN NORMAL. Um, and no reason for anybody to panic. But what I think we could see um, is I think we could suddenly see the markets, and you know how quick it can happen. You get one piece of data that hits you out of left field that the market just wasn't necessarily thinking about it prepared for, and boom, you know you're going to be down 1,500 points in a day, and everyone's going to go, oh my god. Next thing you know, on you know all over CNBC they'll have you know market and turmoil. It's really not market and turmoil. It's because the, the 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 elastic has gotten so stretched, it's got to come back, and it comes back. SWIFT.
1: THAT'S ALL. OKAY. SO YOU EXPECT A PULLBACK. WHEN YOU HAVE, RIGHT NOW WE'VE GOT, uh, WHAT, $908 BILLION OF STIMULUS THAT'S BEEN APPROVED. YOU'VE GOT PRESIDENT BIDEN, I GOT TO GET USED TO SAYING THAT, PRESIDENT <laughs> BIDEN IS ASKING FOR uh, $1.9 trillion IN ADDITIONAL STIMULUS. GREG VALIER SAYS HE MIGHT GET A, billion, a TRILLION AND A HALF. Uh, so somewhere over the first quarter, basically, we're going to see another two and a half to three trillion total dollars in stimulus. When you get that pullback, how do you keep a market down when you're shoving that much cash in it?
2: Well, and that's exactly the point, right? First of all, I think the market is already priced in that stimulus, which is why I think you'll see it pull back even as they're pumping that stimulus in. But that stimulus will mute the move down, which is why I don't see why I don't think you're going to see, you know, a 15 or 20 percent pullback. I just don't think you will. Although I do think you will see the market try to back off a little bit because a lot of this news has already been priced in. So, yes, we're going to get we we, we got the 900. We're going to get 1.5. They want another one trillion by the end of March. And so we know that we're discussing it. He's made it clear the market and investors are semi prepared for that. But that's what I'm saying. A lot of it is priced in. And so uh, I would suspect that I don't think it's going to I don't think you're getting this big, massive crash, but I do think and I would like to see the market come back seven to 10 percent.
1: When I look at the markets to try and figure out what's what's going on and get my sense of direction, sort of, you know, wet my finger and stick it into the wind, I look at the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq's performance on any day and. You know, over recent years, what we've seen is just this huge outperformance by the NASDAQ, typically driven by the Fang stocks, which I interpret as a risk on trade. This is a risk on trade. Folks are going away from the tried and true blue chips, the value stocks. They're leaving them for dead and buying those things. So over the past quarter or so, maybe starting over the summer, last summer, we saw those value stocks, some of the industrials start to catch a bid, and there was a little bit of a rotation out of uh, out of some of the fangs and some out of the text. Yesterday, Kenny, yesterday was you know what I was ta- kind of looking at in terms of animal spirits. Yeah. I saw that Nasdaq rock, and it right. was like two x the Dow. Uh, yeah. Do you watch that, and do you think that we're going to have the same tech-driven leadership, or do you expect a rotation?
2: No, I still think there's going to be a rotation. doesn't mean that tech shouldn't have a place in your portfolio, but I would not be surprised to see a rotation out of some of the fang names, because tech is a big space. There's so many other places in tech that you could be invested in, But I actually I am of this belief that I think you're going to see more of the value play as we move in. And look, value has so far outperformed growth this year, uh, it seemed to it seemed to get ahead of growth uh, towards the last quarter of last year, and so I think that conversation about uh, where the economy ends up, all this stimulus, what's that really mean? I think you got that shift to, to value is alive and well, and I think days like yesterday, you know, those moves into the Nasdaq, I think a lot of it's created uh, uh, algorithmically, um, and as fast as it can go up, we've seen, you know, they can take it right out the next day if, they, if there's a change in mindset.
1: So, Kenny, when we're up, uh, what have we got, 5% or so uh, on NASDAQ uh, already this year, uh, what, what, what do you do? Would you be taking some off the table in some of those names and then waiting to try and redeploy as uh, you get that pullback, or do you go ahead and put money into some of those value names now?
2: So I think you you do both, right? I do think you start to peel away on some of the real outperformers. You maintain that core position, but just trim along the edges and take that cash. If you are able to find uh, opportunity in some of the value names now, go right ahead. Because you can't necessarily try to pick the bottom. But if you've got a plan in place and you believe in that value story, there is opportunity out there. I mean, look what's happened to energy, right? Everyone had energy for debt. The thing is up uh, tremendously since October um, and continue to hide. Goldman just came out this morning and said they see $65 oil by the summer because demand is going to surge, which is a conversation you and I have been having. And so um, there is opportunity. Uh, depending on the sector and if, if you if you're looking for a sector in value that's already kind of had a reaction then yeah wait for the market to pull back a little bit but if you're already in that space you're participating anyway so no, no need to worry
1: you sound like maybe we could experience a blip but you're not telling me that you see anything particularly scary right. uh, in the in the in your forecast for 2021 here. The only thing that I think that could hit the market, catch the market really by surprise,
2: and we've said this before too, is I have this this kind of gut sense that inflation is going to begin to rear its ugly head, and when it does, it's suddenly gonna it's suddenly gonna uh, jump. More so than what the Fed and the experts are telling us, right? They said they're ready to let it run a little bit hot. Well, define a little bit hot. What does that really mean? They left that door wide open because it's a little bit hot at 2.2%. Is it 3%? Because I, I think if we approach 3% and the Treasury, the 10-year Treasury start to tick up one5 1.6%, I think that's where the market's going to run into much more resistance and have a more difficult time.
1: Okay, so are you are you thinking that uh, we're good through 2022 now? I mean, we've got stimulus, we've got an accommodative Fed, you got a nice Janet Yellen who wants to make sure the economy gets better. I mean, uh, is well, how long's this runway? When when do you start looking down?
2: Uh, Well, I think you have to pay attention to what's happening on the inflation side, because I think for somebody to say in January, although they've said it for a while, but for somebody to say in January of 2021 that rates are going to stay zero for another 24 months, Goldman said it's going to stay zero through 2025, I think it's a very long bet to make. And I think so much can happen on the inflationary side. If inflation really starts to take its ugly head, and Michael, you and I both lived in 1979, 1980, when inflation ran to 13% and interest rates were 21%, and the money came pouring out of the market into CDs. Because why wouldn't you? Earn 21% guaranteed sleep at night, day over day, day after day after day? Come on. And so I think and, that's that's going to be the problem is how fast inflation rears its ugly head and how long the Fed is allowing it to run hot.
1: You'd probably remember those 70s better than I do because you're older. Uh, oh you than, bastard. than, you're three than, weeks than younger. I am. <laughs> <laughs> They were, they were an important three weeks in the 70s, <laughs> Kenny. <that> was, <laughs> uh, Kenny Polcari uh, from Case Capital Advisors, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange. This is great stuff. Will you please come back a lot this year with us on the forecast? I'll come back whenever you want. You are the best. We always learn so much. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back looking at Washington, what it means to have a new president. We've got Les Munson, we've got Dan Mahaffey. We're going to break it down for you. Please stay with us.
0: We have an upcoming special opportunity for our Farcast listeners. The Far Miller and Washington Client Lunch will be taking place virtually on Monday, January 25th at 1215 Eastern Time. Every year, Michael Farr hosts a breakfast in Washington DC and a lunch in Naples, Florida for our clients, where Michael delivers a presentation on the economic and investing outlook. This year, the presentation will be offered over the web via Zoom, and we have a limited number of spaces available for our Farrcast listeners. Past presentations have included in 2007, the rising risk of recession due to stress in the financial system, and last year, the possibility of a worldwide shock to the economy due to the pandemic. If you would like to attend the webinar, please email me at hjennings.farmiller.com. At we expect to only have a few dozen spaces available for our listeners, so please reach out soon if you are interested, and I will reserve your place. Thanks for joining us on the Farcast, and now back to the show. And your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast, and now here's your host, Michael Farr.
1: Welcome back. Joining me now is our great friend, Lester Munson, principal uh, at the International BGR Group, leading government relations firm in Washington. Les is an insider's insider in D.C., was on the Hill, has been in the executive branch, foreign relations committee. If you want to know what's going on in D.C., if you need a door open, the guy to call. Who's the man to see? Les Munson. And that's... The guy, we're going to go talk to now. Hey, Les, welcome back to the forecast and happy new year.
3: Thanks, Michael. Great intro. Great to see you. Happy new year to you, sir.
1: We are so glad you are here, Les. Here on the 21st day of 2021, we have a new president, vice president, a couple of new members in the Senate. As you look back, uh, first question, Les, on the fall, on the November elections. Congress, Senate, presidential race. Uh, any surprises? What did you expect? What didn't you expect?
3: I was very surprised by how well Republicans did in the House. Republicans came within, I think, six seats of actually taking the majority in the House during a tumultuous uh, election, where the the lead guy on the ticket, President Trump, had kind of offended a lot of people on the other side. Somehow. Republicans were able to uh, claw back a lot of seats in the House. The House has a razor-thin majority for Democrats right now. I think people have been overlooking that in all the falderall over the inauguration and the the unified government where Democrats now control everything. It is razor-thin. And I'll just remind folks, in 1994, when Republicans took the House for the first time in a couple of generations, five Democrats switched parties to become Republicans. To augment wow. yeah. the majority, so this this majority of six seats could flip in the blink of an eye. It's very close, and and for me that was the most surprising thing.
1: Is there any chance that happens again?
3: I I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, right now, it looks like uh, Joe Biden. Of course, we've we've been watching him for less than 24 hours in office. Uh, is doing a good job of being kind of above the fray and being the, the uniter and the healer and all that stuff that, that frankly, until January 6th, I didn't put a lot of stock in. Now I think it's probably the most important job he has is to be this agent of bringing the country together. And he's doing that. If he keeps doing that, it's going to be tough to flip any seats in the House or for uh, uh, Republicans to really make a run at that. There is the election coming up in uh, less than two years. It's only 21 months away. <laughs> everyone's, ar- everyone's already thinking about it. Uh, oh, and it's, it's going to be tough for the Democrats to hold that if they raise taxes and do some of these other things.
1: Um, what does it mean in terms of policy getting past of uh, President Biden's initiatives now that that margin is so thin?
3: Well, he's still going to have a pretty good opportunity to achieve a lot of his policy goals. So does he if he, he's gonna seek to raise taxes at a certain point, he's got a decent shot at that. He's gonna shift some spending around, he's probably gonna reduce defense spending, he's gonna increase programs that are related to climate change. I think he's gonna have some success there. Where he's gonna really struggle is on procedural changes. So it's gonna be tough for the Biden administration to if they if they even try to expand the Supreme Court. It's going to be tough for them to do filibuster reform in the Senate. It's going to be tough to give statehood to D.C. and Puerto Rico. Some of these larger structural changes that might cement advantages to the Democrats, I think, are unlikely to happen.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yesterday in the inauguration, uh, it was. A, I thought it was a beautiful ceremony. I, I, I every time I see it, and it doesn't matter who is being inaugurated. I always find myself tearing up at some point uh, about the majesty of that process. And, and uh, I, I, Laurie and I were talking as we watched it together um, and, 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 and agreed that it's probably the most important thing that happens uh, in our country every four years. Uh, what difference did that — did it make a difference yesterday, the inauguration? Did it mean something that President Trump wasn't there or that Vice President Pence was there?
3: I was a little worried that President Trump being absent uh, was going to somehow subtract from the importance of the event. I don't think it did. I think it might have, may have been a good thing that he wasn't there. His presence is pretty divisive at this point. And I think the, uh, you know, the, what happened in the Capitol on January 6th uh, was was really devastating on a number of levels and made uh, Joe Biden's and uh, Kamala Harris's job a lot harder. They, they really are going to have to work to, uh, to bring people together and find a way forward that, while they, they of course, are going to pursue their policy goals, they, they have to begin this process of us being more civil to each other, right? The name-calling, uh, the extreme statements, the, the kind of crazy, light your hair on fire over every little thing really does have to stop. They, and they have to be the ones who lead. It's a little unfair to Biden and Harris, they're put in that position but that's the job you know uh they're they're in charge now and it's and it's going to be on them to to set the tone i thought the inauguration i agree was a terrific start uh that kid the uh the young poet laureate was amazing
1: amazing
3: Uh, yeah she she just hit it out of the park and uh so i i i totally agree it was it was a wonderful day
1: Uh, And, you know, something else, uh, when they said that Lady Gaga was going to sing the national anthem and she walked down in that dress, I thought, oh gosh, here we go. She knocked it out of the park. That's one of my favorite versions of the national anthem I've ever heard. I, it was, it was awesome. So, uh, she's a pretty good
3: performer. It turns out (laughs) just,
1: just, you know, she might, she might hang on to that gig. Uh, Okay, uh, Les. As we look ahead to a Biden agenda, we have a lot of investors who are very nervous about that tax thing you just mentioned. Uh, tell, tell what do you think about the which taxes will get raised? Uh, there were some very broad, severe sort of tax proposals uh, in the on the campaign trail. Now we've got a Janet Yellen who was always dovish as Fed chairman is interested. Certainly supportive of economic growth is worried about the fragility of the economic recovery. We've got Jay Powell who's still calling on more stimulus. Will a a Treasury Secretary and Fed Chairman who are looking for more stimulus simultaneously tap the brakes via a tax increase?
3: It, it's a great question. They've already signaled that the tax increase proposal is going to wait for some of these other things. They've got the coronavirus pandemic to deal with first. Uh, and their first 100 days are clearly going to be focused on um, on tackling that and looking like they're tackling that in a way that uh, the Trump administration kind of took a pass on certain things. So I think that they are going to focus on the immediate. That means not tax increased proposals. They will get to it eventually. And I don't think we should kid ourselves. The Democrats, uh, you know, when they're in charge, they, they feel a knee-jerk reaction to raise taxes. It's part of who they are. Yeah. Uh, we do have a massive federal budget deficit and a, and a terrific uh, debt issue. So there's, there's a plausible rationale for good government types to think a tax increase is, is an appropriate thing. What will actually be legislated will likely be very different from what was proposed in the campaign. You know, this has got to go through a screen of the House... Ways and Means Committee, the Senate right. Finance Committee. There will be parochial concerns. There will be a lot of lobbying. Uh, Gucci Gulch uh, will suddenly spring up, and we'll see a lot of uh, a lot of advocacy for certain things. I suspect, at the end of the day, you're looking at higher marginal rates for wealthy individuals and probably a higher corporate tax rate.
1: Higher tax rates for wealthy individuals and a higher corporate tax rate for the wealthy individuals does that mean we go back to the thirty nine and a half percent or
3: higher? i think that's i i think it could be there it could be a little bit higher uh it's 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 hard to speculate so far away uh when when we've got to go through all of this uh maneuvering you know if i were if I were if I were a Democrat, I'd be thinking about a carbon tax, uh, right? They're they're doing all of these things to look like they're green to address climate change issues. The most sensible way to do that is is a carbon tax. Uh, it's been discussed, it's been vetted. Uh, it's the one that's most likely to uh, not unnecessarily warp our economy. And if you did a trade off of other tax reductions to achieve a, a carbon tax proposal, I think it's something that that a lot of folks might take a hard look at and consider supporting from from the conservative side, I don't think they're going to go that way. I think they're going to be a little more superficial. They're going to go for the things that appeal to their base, and that's going to be those, those higher rates on wealthy individuals and corporate taxes.
1: You know, I, I, I hate the carbon tax idea, at least in the iterations that I've read before, because it takes the U.S. as a manufacturer off of a level playing field versus competition around the world that don't give a damn about carbon. And so it increases our costs of manufacturing and production that at some point have to be passed along, but it makes us less competitive in that global market. So I'm, I'm, I've always kind of, you know, uh, not, not like the idea. Am I missing something there?
3: Well, I think if you paired it with tax reductions in other areas and made it almost revenue neutral and and you shifted uh, the decision making for our private sector a little bit, it would it would mitigate against exactly what you're talking about. I'm not presuming this is this is going to. So it's an account. So, so,
1: so as long as we have an offset on the accounting balance sheet, it won't affect the bottom line and it'll look good politically is what you're telling me.
3: Hmm. That is what I'm telling you.
1: <laughs> That's what you're telling me. That's what I thought you were telling me. Okay. Now, okay, so let me go right to my next question. James Carville famously said during the Bill Clinton, uh, you know, administration, it's the economy, stupid, right? It's the, and he actually said it in a way you can barely understand. It's the economy, stupid. Um, stupid becomes a two or three syllable word the further south you go in this country. Um, sorry, Harry Jennings from Georgia, our producer. All right. So, uh, Les... Is it still the economy, stupid? Because President Trump had a fabulous damned economy, and we see the Democrats, of course, looking to that midterm election. They want to be very careful when it comes to the economy. They want to have a positive economy. Most seasoned politicians say, I need an economic tailwind if I'm going to get my ass reelected. President Trump had one, didn't work. Does the economy still matter in these elections?
3: The economy matters, of course. Uh, I think the Democrats have a plausible argument that there was better growth under Obama than there was under Trump, despite all of the falderall. The 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 stock market in the in the first term of President Obama grew more than it grew under Trump's one term. Uh, they have, they have a plausible case at decent economic management. It's a different kind of economy that they're managing, though, right? They are. Their base is generally. Um, in the service sector, in uh, kind of the, the thought uh, economy and folks who are uh, managing things from afar, folks who can stay home and work on Zoom calls as opposed to those who have to go into a factory or a retail outlet to work, uh, the, the, the economics have shifted. Republicans are a little more blue collar. Democrats are more white collar and green collar these days. So so there's, there's wild, different economies it? that they're talking about. It is, it's an amazing phenomenon.
1: That's wild that we're redefining uh, those bases. Okay, Les, amazing here. We're out of time. I can't believe it. It's flown by. Um, as you're looking to the next year and you're talking to your clients, what are your top things you're looking to happen in Washington this year? And we're going to end there.
3: That's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at how the Republican Party is going to heal itself. Uh, I've got friends on both sides of the impeachment question. And on both sides of the, the vote was legitimate question. Uh, how are those two sides going to come together? Can the Republicans put together a uh, kind of a, a platform and an approach that is the loyal opposition to Joe Biden and not distracted by perhaps a, uh, a demagogue in Florida? That's what I'm watching for. Uh, and I suspect Republicans will be successful it's going to, once the Biden administration comes out with some controversial proposals, we'll see Republicans kind of stand up and be who they are.
1: It does feel like the political temperature has already started to drop, and I welcome that. Uh, and I think Wall Street does, too. A little more predictability is always good for stocks.
3: Amen and hallelujah.
1: Amen and hallelujah from our friend Lester Munson, principal of International BGR Group, a leading government relations firm, the man to see in Washington, and our great friend on the Farcast. Les, thanks so much for being with us. Happy New Year, and we hope to hear from you a lot this year.
3: Thanks, Michael. Great to see you.
1: Great to see you. We're going to be right back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for segment three of the Farcast. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud
0: to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission At heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast, and now, back to
1: your host. Michael Farr. We're back. Thanks so much for being with us. The 21st day of 2021, the first day that uh, President Biden is in office, Vice President Harris, a couple of new Congress, uh, another couple of new senators who were uh, uh, sworn in yesterday. The math is changing in Washington. And when we try to figure out what's going on in Washington, of course, we turn to the Farcast senior political analyst, uh, from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, they study the presidency and Congress, so you don't have to. And we get to hear about all of their studies and interpretations from our great Dan Mahabey. Dan, uh, nice to see you again this week.
4: Good to see you, Michael, and uh, good to, as always to be talking to you. And thanks for having me.
1: We're, we're very, we're very glad you're here. I was have told. Uh, Munson that I actually teared up during the inauguration yesterday, I, I do every time I watch it. I mean, I'm such a sap when it, when it comes to real majesty and patriotism and the flag and Lady Gaga's singing. And it was just
4: awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Amanda Gorman knocked it out of the park with that with that poem.
1: You know, and she said that uh, the girl who wanted, uh, had dreams of being President of the United States was going to read her poem for the President of the United States. But, uh, let me tell you, after she read that poem yesterday, I'll vote for her. I mean, yeah. do we have to wait till she's 35? Can we, can we waive? I mean, uh, yeah, Buttigieg, I don't care about, but I mean, let's go ahead and vote for her. This is, that was an amazing kid.
4: That was, that was. They're truly, you know, and I think the kind of ceremony, the pomp and pageantry you need after the uh, the events of the past two weeks to be reminded of how democracy works, what that uh, p- transfer of power looks like I mean even if it wasn't the one we're necessarily used to uh, to-, to see how a mature democracy uh, imperfect as it may be handles those things is, uh, is a good reminder to I think citizens and the world.
1: I, I, Dan, I'm very fortunate in that I have a lot of media outlets, newspapers and folks who will call me for quotations and comments nationally and internationally. One that calls me regularly is the largest newspaper in Japan, Um, uh, millions and millions of of readers. And they called me last night and said, uh, is this uh, new message good for the stock markets? And I said, uh, I said, uh, yes, I think so, because it's a message of coming together. It's also a message that turns down the political temperature, the rhetoric, and anything that bodes of greater stability, uh, greater calm, stocks-like, stocks-like predictability. And they, they ask me questions that I'm not at all sort of qualified to answer to. Uh, which doesn't mean I don't answer them. That just means I'm not qualified to answer them. You know, they say, well, will you please speak for the United States? In the United States, tell us. I mean, if you can imagine getting a question asking you to speak for the United States. But uh, in the United States, uh, will this message be received, this message of unity and calm from new President Biden? And my answer was, uh, sooner or later, I think, uh, we will begin to hear it. I'm not sure that we have the ears to hear it yet. Uh, blood is still boiling in many American ears that might make this message hard to hear. But over time, it's certainly the right message for America, in Far's humble opinion, and we will hear it sooner or later. Won't we, Dan? Or am I just being pie in the sky again? <laughs>
4: Look, I think we've talked about the the structural and that, that tribalization of our politics over the past four years that drives this. Uh, you know, the, we can laugh about it in some ways. The question becomes, what is my job going to look like now? Because it's no longer the uh, of trying to figure out what's coming from the White House uh, or, you know, parsing tweets like there's some sort of sacrificial entrails to get a sense of. What the mood is in the White House, it's going to be a much more direct and you know predictable politics that, in a yep. way, turns down that temperature. That you you have that stability. You know what what you get briefed on legislation or proposals is, is what the White House actually means. Uh, that the the deal making, and I think this will be interesting to see, uh, deal making with the with the Congress you have, uh, Biden is a, a creature of Congress unlike uh, any president we've had since LBJ, particularly the Senate. Wow, okay, you know, a had-
1: creature of Congress. I like that, he's a creature of Congress. Te- what, do you, what do you, I mean, he spent his life on Capitol Hill, right?
4: Right, spent his life on Capitol Hill, his time as vice president, he was often Obama's point man to these negotiations with Congress. He's much more of the, you know, look, uh, Trump didn't drink. He was a teetotaler. Obama had a, you know, was known for a bit of a cold social shoulder in this town. Biden is the one who's going to, you know, for better or worse, these members, of the, particularly in the Senate, they're going to have a drink invitation probably every week to come to the White House or some hideaway or something. He's going to want to make those kinds of deals and negotiations. You know, they want to move fast on the COVID relief. They're talking big on immigration now, too. He wants to get those deals done. And, and I think, too, they think they have a, a bit of, if not a honeymoon, at least in the Senate, a window to get things done following the events of January 6th, that hopefully that was a, uh, a wake-up call to some of the more moderate members uh, of Congress to, to at least come together on some of these things to try and make a deal
1: as we look at the last 4 years where the president trump went straight to the people on twitter and we didn't have press conferences we didn't have anything but we had you know hundreds of tweets every day going straight to the american people do you think that the biden presidency is going to be one where the where the president biden goes straight to capitol hill goes straight to congress goes straight to the senators to advance his agenda? Will that be a difference? And and and, and are we going to see him on TV as much or, or hear from him as often as we saw from President Trump?
4: No, I don't think. I think the way they've set it up is to hear a lot more from the members of the administration. That's, you know, what uh, Vice President Harris, uh, why you bring in someone like Buttigieg, why you bring in some of those big figures to be your your spokespeople and surrogates. And and have you know certainly less of the presidential focus on the public side and more the uh, doing the job and working with members of Congress. I think you're correct in that idea that he would probably go more directly to members of Congress because it is a replacement from the past four years where you know even the the you know the president uh, Trump's designates you know when Mnuchin was trying to make a deal or things like that you know everyone held their breath waiting for a tweet to know whether the deal was uh, was good or bad. And that's, you know, now you're gonna hear that directly from the president in those negotiations. And if there is a tweet, there's gonna be, you know, six people who read it before it goes out.
1: I'm, I'm sort of seeing a, 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 you know, a conciliatory agenda, uh, a COVID-focused agenda from from this new president. Will he be effective on Capitol Hill with that agenda? And I guess also, do you presume that he is a one-term president?
4: Well, look, I don't make any assumptions about uh, his his tenure, although I think even some of his comments on the campaign trail suggested that he saw himself as a one-term president, uh, given his age. I think they have the lesson, though, from the Obama administration, where it is to go big on these early measures, be it the stimulus- or immigration measures. There is, of course, uh, the understanding that, you know, on on immigration, it may be a hot-button issue. On some of the stimulus measures, uh, the, perhaps the $15 minimum wage or the aid to state and local governments, that's a little more controversial. But I think there are also the belief of, well, let's try and find the areas where there are consensus on... So, if there is a quick move on immigration, I imagine it to be, you know, Uh, legalization for the DREAMers and solving the uh, temporary protected status persons from overseas, those are ways to, you know, where, look, even John Cornyn and Thune and Roy Blunt are conservatives who've talked about fixing that part of the immigration system for the DREAMers. So, you know, let's stop making everything a, a, uh, you know, an Armageddon political issue and actually try and find areas where, you know, there is agreement and to get some Relief in the economic sense and to provide some certainty for these, uh, these immigrant families. I
1: think it'll be very welcome on Wall Street. Uh, Dan, as you look out over the next year and you're talking to all of the folks who, who uh, are involved and, and subscribe, are members of your think tank in Washington, and they say, All right, Dan, tell us uh, policy for this administration. And policy achievements, what will they have achieved in this first year? And, and give me a sense, too, of foreign policy here. Where will we be around the world? We've seen uh, the, the, the you know a Paris Accord. Uh, we, we've seen a number of things uh, already, uh, day one, from President Biden. What will the end of the first year look like that's different from today?
4: Well, I think what the administration will want to, in a way, is point back and look at some level of a, of a restoration of competence and capacity in government, that the the main priorities are going to be COVID and the vaccine rollout, hopefully managing that process. As they've said, they, they're basically having to start from scratch, given the distribution plan or lack thereof that the, uh, they were left. Um, so the, Mom, that- I
1: mean, my dad's 95 in Florida. We have spent on every website trying to sign him up. Uh, my sister's all, all of me, We can't get my 95 year old dad the vaccine here.
4: Yeah, it, and it, people
1: it, come in from out of state and they can get it. Uh, and, and, uh, it, all you have to do is be able to get in the line. It's just, it's just weird.
4: Oh, no, the, that process is going poorly and they, they were going to want to fix that. You're, look, you're going to see again. They hope to get something on immigration, uh, perhaps something on the on the fiscal side to at least start to pay for some of these measures. And I think that would be, you know, modest tax adjustments, but nothing nothing too big in the in the COVID economy. Uh, then beyond that, uh, look on the foreign policy side, they are inheriting much of the calls, and, and there's the consensus on China. On Russia, that's a congressional bipartisan consensus too. I don't think you see policies changing greatly, but what you see is a, a better willingness to work with our friends and partners to tackle some of these issues, and then a return to areas like climate, uh, arms control, where there's a, a multilateral movement that the Trump administration was just not not fans of.
1: I don't often use the word bullish when uh, I refer to politics, but Dan, you sort of sound bullish uh, on a Biden administration and bullish on where government is right now for the next year if, if I, am I, am I hearing you?
4: Well I think look there there's a, a lot of this is going to be clearing out the stables that they inherit but uh, a measure of a, of a willingness in rhetoric now and at least among the the members of Congress you hear and the administration to get some things done, on some of these issues, when we start to get to perhaps further uh, stimulus measures or uh, infrastructure spending, sure, there's going to be challenges, and you know, no uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. But this administration really does want to to move ahead in some ways, and I think they have a window of opportunity.
1: I always avoid. Uh, sharing my own political views whenever I'm on in, in the media. Uh, I don't have, that's not my area of expertise. I'm, I'm, I'm a financial expert. Uh, I'm an investment expert. I have a certain expertise in economics, but I don't in politics. I'm just another voter who has an, uh, has an opinion. So I always try to avoid it. But the one thing I've said over years, for many years now on TV, is uh, when I'm pushed on the presidency, is I, I say a prayer For the president of the united states every day and i think we all should and i did for donald trump and i have for every president of the united states some days actually i do forget to say a prayer for the president but whenever i think of it and often presidents will remind you that they need your prayers uh, i think that's what we need to do uh say a prayer for this president we need this president as we do every president to be the very best president the united states has ever seen that joe biden is hopeful for america Encourages me greatly. I am hopeful for America. I see that that America that is a shining city upon a hill that will once again be that example to the world of how we can have positive, successful in this country, where we can have positive, compassionate leadership in this country. So my optimism remains. Uh, Dan, we're going to talk to you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being with us on another Farcast. We will be back with you next week. I'm very grateful that you all have tuned in. Also on Monday, I'm going to be giving my economic and market outlook. Uh, It's at lunchtime, 12.15. It's going to last for about an hour. I have a whole bunch of data to present. Uh, We have some spaces open for non-clients, and you just uh, email Jennings at farmiller.com. He'll find you a spot if there's one open uh, to tune into that. Please share us on social media. I'll be back. Thanks so much. I'm Michael Farr.
0: Thank you for listening in on this week's edition of the Farcast. And thanks to Michael's guest, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Lester Munson. Don't forget, we do have a few spaces available for Farcast listeners at the Far-Miller and Washington Virtual Client Lunch coming up this Monday at 1215 Eastern. Email me, hgennings at farmiller.com and I'll be happy to send you an invitation so you can reserve your space. We do love hearing from you every week, and we do try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. Let us know any questions that you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. Farcast comes to you every week and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast Podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers or employees of Far Miller Washington, are not necessarily those of Far Miller and Washington or any firm any of our guests may represent and may not be current. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that the past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend that you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And, of course, if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at We are here to help. I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. We will be back with you next week with scheduled guests Jim Labenthal, Dan Mahaffey, and Tiffany McGee as we continue our fourth season. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world.